The demand for energy is accelerating like never before. New sources are emerging and established ones are evolving. Collectively, all sources will provide the fuel needed to support future global demand. Here on the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, we explore and learn about the people and companies solving today's problems to produce tomorrow's energy needs. Here is your host, Jose Solis. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Halliburton Labs. Halliburton Labs works with early stage companies to help accelerate their growth by providing access to operational expertise, mentorship, as well as financing opportunities as companies prepare to scale. Enter to win their weekly giveaway at HalliburtonLabs.com forward slash giveaway. Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Energy Scale-Ups podcast. I'm your host, Jose Solis, and today I am joined by Ryan Shirzadi from Tech Rebel here in Houston, and we are going to be talking about the rise of app development in the energy industry. Ryan, thank you for joining me today. Absolutely happy to be here. If you wouldn't mind, give the listeners a little bit of a short bio and talk about yourself a little bit so they know who you are. Sure. Yeah. I'm Ryan. You know, I'm one of the partners over here at Tech Revel. We're a leading app development company and technology company. So we work in a lot of the high tech areas. I am also on the board of advisors at the University of Houston in their campus, their main campus. So that's also something I work on a lot in, in order to help kind of educate the you know academia with real world applications of technology and, you know, digital marketing and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I come in and what I've been kind of working on for the last few years. That's awesome. Are you a native Houstonian? For the most part. So I actually grew up here throughout high school. I'm actually very well traveled. So I've, I've been to over 40 countries, but, you know, I, I lived overseas for a while growing up. It was, you know, it really helped kind of help me as far as like understanding different cultures, you know, yeah. understanding how to communicate even better, better with a lot of people. So yeah. that kind of helped kind of grew me into who I am today in order to be able to like communicate with the people I do. Out of all of the countries that you've lived in outside of the United States, which one was your favorite one to live in or even just visit? So I absolutely loved living in Abu Dhabi. That was a really cool place to live, especially when I was there. You know, it was a really big rise in their economy, especially Dubai was expanding. All those different areas were expanding. So it was really cool to see that and actually be there to witness it. You know, they're putting up that whole entire indoor snowboarding area while I was there. (laughs) So yeah, that was really, really awesome to see. But yeah, it was a really cool time to, you know, to be alive and be in that area and part of the world. So I think that was probably one of my favorite places that I lived. That's awesome. And you mentioned that you're on an advisory panel for the University of Houston Bauer Business School, right? Uh, Correct. So how did you get involved with that? And what's that been like for you? Sure. Yeah. So they were looking for people to help with their leadership initiative. So as far as like helping their students with curriculum, and they kind of approached me and and thought it would be a unique profile to add to their resources as far as people they could talk to, to kind of get different and, and varying opinions. So I think that's kind of why they're interested in having me on their panel. And it was something that I was very interested in as well as, you know, I'm, I've been in Houston my whole life and, and to be like, you know, recognized by a university like that as somebody who can help is definitely something I wanted to do. And I'm, I'm, you know, really thrilled to be in that position. That's awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing a little bit about that. So let's jump into today's topic, which is, again, the rise of app development in the energy industry. What are some of the benefits of mobile applications for businesses as they grow? So that's actually a really interesting question. You know, the, the mobile market actually makes it very easy. And, and just in the word that I said there, you know, it's mobile. Uh-huh. So like you don't have to be sitting in one place, you can go anywhere. And that's where a lot of companies started building their business back, you know, when they were scaling. Right. So even right. The, the, the big players as well. So they're all kind of tied down with their current platforms a lot of times. 
And it's something that they look for as far as being more flexible, being able to move places, being able to maybe even monitor things. Let's let's talk oil and gas. So there's a lot of machinery, a lot of sensors, a lot of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to do if you basically integrate technology into those processes and, and make sure that you're kind of keeping up with the times because somebody else will. And that's kind of the whole reason that, you know, mobile apps is something that companies are looking for now as, uh, you know, increased, basically a easier way to be able to kind of keep up with the market and trends, right? Right. As far as like the client side of things, I was talking more on the internal side for organizations on the client side. This allows people to actually have your brand on their real estate on their phone. That gives you that visibility. And it's like kind of crucial nowadays to be on somebody's phone and to be in those, you know, groupings of apps that somebody would have within their, you know, home screens. That's something they see every day. That's your marketing. So, I mean, that could be really amazing for any e-commerce company, stuff like that. So, I mean, if you're looking to start a company and or or that's something that you're interested in, it's definitely something that you can get more eyes on your product, more eyes on your kind of vision, and also be able to kind of keep people there as you're already on their phone. So they're not going to be getting deleted, hopefully. Right. So a lot of companies, obviously, when they first start off, you know, they have their tech stack, right? Whatever they're using. And then they get to a point where they're like, okay, we're growing. And then, you know, then somebody comes up with the idea, hey, we should create an in-house app, right? And what are some of the, I guess, factors companies should consider when choosing in-house app development or a contractor? So whether they're going to do it themselves or they're going to contract it out, what are some some of the key elements that they should keep in mind? So that's a great question. So when you're kind of looking around you know, for software developers, stuff like that, it's definitely something where you have to do your due diligence because, you know, you can you can get junior developers for certain costs, you can get senior, you can get full stack. There are a lot of different ways to go about it. But generally, if you're going to hire, you know, and not get somebody to come in and help you with it, like as far as a consultant or somebody who specializes in that, the price point is going to be a lot higher generally. Okay. And that's one of the, I mean, at the end of the day, that's one of the biggest factors as much as I hate to say it is that like it's getting a full team and then also having them maintain it. So that's the other side of things. Right. So you can build it and that could be what your vision is. But, you know, it's also something where there's a lot of iteration. There's a lot of building upon it. So, you know, having somebody who can come in and specialize in that and so you don't have to focus on something your brand's not specialized in. Right. So I always think, you know, every brand should be focused on their their core competencies, right? And these okay. are the things that they built their business around. Once you start kind of getting into these other things, app development, you're you're killing your own bandwidth and you're putting focus on other places where you're actually kind of potentially even cannibalizing your business, right? By building something and wasting time somewhere else where you're not really specialized and wasting just wasting time in general. Yeah. So hiring a consultant who's very skilled at this already can be way easier as far as like the barriers to entry go mm-hmm. and training goes because you can just kind of explain it, go through your scope. Obviously, coming with a business plan is usually a very good idea because being prepared is, as we know, probably one of the most important things you can be right. in, Either in life. You, you, you prepare to succeed or, or is it you... You plan to succeed or you don't plan it or something. There's like either you plan to fail or you fail to plan, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a great point. So, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, it comes down to each individual company and their needs. However, I would suggest a company that's, you know, starting up and, you know, needing to get somebody on board. It's sometimes easier to get somebody outside of your company to do it yeah. unless you can get a partner. Now, you can hire the expertise, right? Yeah. And somebody that that's their sole focus. You exactly. don't have to worry about taking Holding taking bandwidth away anything. from somebody else or having to. I guess, but if you do have people in-house, the good thing about them would be that, would be that they understand your business, exactly. right? You don't have to explain your business to them. 
that would be probably one of the things you might want to consider if you have people that have those skills, especially if you're a larger organization, right? Mm -hmm. Versus being a smaller organization, I think that you really need to focus on what's your revenue producing activity, right? Versus trying to take on side projects. You may want to consider hiring somebody or a company to, to take on this project for you, right? Exactly. Uh, and that's kind of where it depends, right? Because as a, as a startup, it's a lot easier to get these people in there, understand your business and get going. But when you're a, you know, a behemoth company, maybe like Berkshire Hathaway or something like that, where you have right. tons of different business models and all this stuff going on, you know, it's a lot harder to get people into your, into your organization. You have to train them, you have to do all this stuff to get them to understand it. Right. But like my, my kind of perspective is with startups is it always surprises me when they don't have a tech side. Right. Because it's like you can go, you can find a, you know, find a CTO, somebody who specializes in that, get a partner who's got different skill sets than yourself. Yeah. So that's something that's, that's always kind of like definitely been something that I, I've been preaching to other startups who are interested in getting to oil and gas and other industry is that, you know, getting a partner that has skills and technology is the way to go in this day and age for sure. So it's a must. It's a must. It's really. a must. I mean, with the exception of probably very few niche type companies mm -hmm. that, you know, they already have, let's say years and years of history as far as like relationships in the industry go and, They've got something maybe more on the mechanical side and not so much on the digital side, right? Mm -hmm. Then, yeah, maybe not as much, but even they, Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, but even they would be well served mm -hmm. to have, you know, that technology integrated from the beginning versus, you know, adding it down the line after they've got, you know, five, 10 years of business under their belt and they have to go back and sort of figure out like, okay, where do we need to patch this in, right? Absolutely. And like from my prior experience, even working at, you know, corporate companies and stuff in the past, which I don't think I even touched on, but yes, I've been in the corporate kind of side of things as well. It's we've integrated tech solutions and those have taken years and years to integrate even, even then, because, you know, you have to go through the entire company of hundreds, you know, maybe tens of thousands of employees and get, make sure every single redundancy is there. I mean, it's, it was ridiculous. We watched this new software come out for over two years. <laughs> <laughs> What so when let's say a company chooses to outsource their app development, right? Let's say they decide, hey, you know what? Looking at our talent pool, we believe we'd be better served by hiring a company and outsourcing this job or outsourcing this work. When they go through that selection process, let's say they start contacting companies like Tech Rebel or other companies, right? What are some really key questions that they need to ask in order to make sure that that is a successful relationship? You know, I think a lot of people look for that trust and then also the communication factor when they're analyzing app developers and people in the tech space. You know, the tech space is we kind of started Tech Revel based upon the fact that a lot of the companies out there are really not as ethical as, you know, we would like to see them. So, you know, a lot of some of our business comes from a lot of people who've been somewhat jaded, right, from the whole yeah. industry, right? And and we noticed that going into it. I made it a few calls and it's it was really prevalent or it was really like visible that this this whole industry was seemed like it was really hard to find anybody I could really like trust, which was quite interesting. It being such a large industry. Right. You know, I mean, this industry wasn't here 20 years ago, but it is now. So, I mean, app development, yeah, app development. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So it's like, you know, the fact of the matter is that there's a ton of these companies that, you know, it's, it's just hard to pick from. I mean, and just on a level of communication, trust, that kind of thing. So. I think that's like one of the biggest factors for a lot of people in making their decision. I don't even think the price comes into the factor as much as that. If you can actually do deliverables, show people your quality and have them understand that, you know, you're somebody they can trust and you're somebody who, you know, if they get a, have a problem, you're not going to back off. You're going to come up, you're going to step up, you're going to make sure their problem gets solved. You know, that's what they're looking for in these companies and, and being able to make sure that 
you know, they get a product that they can count on and, and that's, you know, going to work for the long term. So potential customers should be asking these consultant companies, you know, questions about like work history, maybe getting referrals, looking at like evaluating their communication styles, maybe even asking them what sort of backlog they have, because that's usually an indicator of how much work have people been coming to you for a lot of work? Like if I engage your company and you have absolutely no backlog, then that sort of tells me like, okay, well maybe unless you're like brand new, if you've been in the game for a few years and you don't have a backlog, I would question like how good your work is, right? So I would look at things of that nature as well. But we do before we kind of, you know, bring clients on and stuff is we have our entire portfolio visible on our, well, not entire, but most of our portfolio visible on our website. Yeah, I've so seen like, some of those apps. Yeah, They're pretty cool too. Absolutely, absolutely. And we, we post pretty much, I mean, most of them we're still, you know, have a few that we have yet to post. But I mean, you know, those are key things for us to show clarity to our clients, you know, on yeah. what we work on, what we do and the kind of work you can expect from us. And I notice a lot of a lot of companies won't really do that with their portfolios and put them out there like that. And, you know, we like to really make sure our clients in the world is kind of more educated on technology as well. So they can, you know, understand where the world's heading and understand next innovation, stuff like that. So we even have a blog that we'll we'll put out for our clients and also our future clients' perspective. Clients, it's so. it's it's really interesting you mentioned that because prior to our interview, I went through a lot of the blogs and I checked a lot of that stuff out. And I'll tell you what, it's a really great resource for people that are looking to do app development, things that they need to be thinking about before they even make that first phone call and book a consultation, right? So I think that's really great that you guys are taking the time to educate customers. I think that is something that is so important educating a client mm-hmm. you know giving them the opportunity because majority of a sale is done 70% of it is done before the client contacts you they're going online they're educating themselves they're getting familiar with who you are your reputation they're checking out your social links they're looking at what you're posting and i think it's really valuable that you guys take the time to not just self promote but to also educate and say, here are some things that you should think about. I looked through a lot of that stuff and Mm -hmm. it really helped me prepare for the interview. So I think that that's really interesting that you guys do that. Let's say, for instance, company, like again, decides to move forward and says, let's go ahead and do this. Let's build an app. What are some of the things that they can do to avoid difficulties when outsourcing, right? Because one of the things that I read is that there's a pretty high percentage of companies that become like you said, jaded by an experience that they had with a company. And then they usually call somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. And they report problems, right? They report things like, okay, the, the development costs were way higher than expected. The maintenance costs are crazy high. There's lack of customizable options, things of that nature. What are some of the things that companies can do to avoid that when going down the road of outsourcing? And maybe this sort of comes back to you know, asking the right questions in the beginning. Well, I mean, not even that. I feel like a lot of times the companies and people I speak with as well who come to me with, you know, those type of opinions now of, of companies being, you know, negative. Yeah. You know, generally, I feel like they don't really look into the actual contract. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's that's it's it's amazing because I mean, I'll go through the contract and it sometimes with people who will show me the previous ones. Right. And it's going to be it lacks SOPs. It lacks processes, lack standards. I mean, Mm -hmm. it lacks like pretty much anything that, you know, would be something that any, you know, company like Microsoft or somebody else you work with would would have, right? So like to analyze the contract and and make sure that those change requests, you have them prior to going in, those 
sign-off forms. You have them prior to going in. Everything you need to make sure that if your project ever is at a certain place, that there's some way you can come back and make sure that you know it gets picked up correctly. Yeah. So that's something we have out throughout our whole entire process, and that's a lot of clients really like that because I mean we don't we don't ever move forward from a phase until we get a sign-off. Gotcha. And that's a lot of times I notice that a lot of other people won't have those or, or notice that in the contract. So it's, I mean, it takes a little bit of due diligence on the client's end as far as making sure they're reading and asking those questions as well. What, when am I paying? When, when is this first phase going to be done? What is the first phase? What's the second phase? And, you know, what's the third phase, fourth phase, fifth phase, that kind of thing, et cetera, depending on the company. But I mean, you know, making sure those are all in place and, and making sure you have a good plan moving forward and also that you're a gatekeeper at some of the steps as the client. Being the gatekeeper is part of the key to actually have a good outsourcing experience. You know, that's obviously not it, not the only part, but that's one of the biggest issues I've seen in a lot of other companies and, and people's negative uh, experiences. That's interesting. So let's jump in a little bit to some of the nuts and bolts when we're talking about app development. And one of the things that I read from the blog that you guys have was addressing source code security. Mm-hmm. What is it? Why is it important? Yeah. So, you know, source code security is extremely important as far as making sure that, you know, you're, you're safe from like any type of malware, stuff like that, that might come through. I mean, we back everything up. Usually we're partners with AWS. So like that's a company we'll use to make sure everything's secure on the back end. But yeah, making sure you're not like really like, I mean, that's kind of like your IP, right? Mm -hmm. The source code. It's all your IP. So in, in that end, like, at Tech Revel, it's kind of something specific to us is that we're very transparent and don't want anything to do with your IP after the project's complete. Unless you want us to come in and do maintenance or upgrades or something like that, you know, we'll continue to work with you. Right. But like if let's say you're done with your project and you want it up on the app store and you're, you tell us, hey, let's let's connect in like a month or two and we'll see if we need any maintenance or anything and have one of those type of plans. We're just kind of informal yet, you know, somewhere where they're still there for you. You know, you'll have it. You'll have it all under your name. You'll have it on your repo. And, and from there, you'll be able to kind of share it with us to make sure that, you know, everything's still good and, and we can move forward from there. But yeah, we make sure everything's secure and that, you know, everything is basically taken care of in the best possible standards and compliance. Interesting. When it comes to mobile applications, performance is definitely important. But tell the listeners why it's important and how it can be improved. So mobile app performance, a lot of times comes down to the QA testing and stuff like that. So when you're looking at the, like when you're releasing an app, it's just as important as the actual build to be doing the QA testing at the, at the end and making sure that you're doing your UAT, making sure everything's looking good on that end. You know, we've seen, you know, a lot of times when companies are rushed and kind of don't have that time, you'll get an app that's a lot, very, 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 very clunky. (laughs) (laughs) You'll, You'll be kind of moving through it at a snail's pace, but as far as like performance goes, you know, having good Wi-Fi, depending on the application, you know, the servers and, and APIs that are used. I mean, we would build those bridges. We're a custom app development company. So we actually help build those bridges and make sure it's put together in the most efficient way. However, using companies like AWS, Azure, things like that for your hosting. I mean, those, of course, are the I'd say one of the gold standards, right? Like right, As far yeah. as hosting goes and, and, and bandwidth and stuff like that. 
So like using the cloud and being able to use flex servers, stuff like that to be able to host it. At the end of the day, we all know this, hopefully we all know the story of Instagram. You know, they came out and they launched and then they got a million users like off the bat, right? And their app kept crashing. They kept on having to fix the back end, front end constantly. And it was just a big pain in the, yeah. But so basically that's the issue nobody wants with their application. Right, for it to crash. Exactly. Nobody wants any of that. Nobody wants to be focused on that all the time. That's why we work with the cloud now. Make sure you have the ability. So when you hit that, threshold it'll automatically yeah. increase and you can auto yeah you can auto scale. Yes. you can set up your cloud platform to just auto scale as you continue to grow and then you only pay for what you're using exactly anyway, right exactly so whether you're, you're either going up or e- or even in the sense if you need to come bring it back a little bit you can do that and not have to worry about like your application Entire, crashing yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly and having so much uptime right because like aws is your other ones that can provide you with so much uptime. I mean, that's in your contract with them, mm-hmm. right? And so you allow them to provide you with that level of assurance that your app is not going to crash, which is great, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, we're talking in that, that's through the big, you know, big players in the industry, right? So like if you have that kind of security, I would think usually you wouldn't run into those situations as much. So it comes down really to QA and, and making sure your backend is... Just out of <clears> curiosity, <throat> do companies ever... Like approach you guys about doing a mixture of private and public cloud where they have their own servers that they want to run because maybe they're, they just want to have a little bit more control and security. Do they ever do a mixture of that? I know that that is an option. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The bigger clients will usually do that. So when we're looking at corporations and stuff, you know, we obviously have the internet and the internet, they do the same thing with their servers. So they'll have their own personal database usually, and then they'll also have a backup and then they'll have one in the cloud. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. And one of the last questions I have. So just out of curiosity, what are some of the best practices that companies can employ when developing their in-house application? And maybe maybe we've touched on a lot of these things already, but just off the top of your head, let's say, for instance, if a company's doing it in-house, what are some best practices like you know encryption standards, secrets management, auditing, access control, things like that? Hmm. And that's a good question. You know, as far as the best practices would go, as far as whenever they're developing their own in-house, it really does depend on the on the industry. So I'm just going to kind of probably just talk in general, you know, as far as like making sure that the application is being coded. And I'm going back, you kind of went through a few different examples, but I think like one of the most important ones is the language that you use when you're okay. starting. A lot of people will start with a older language that's not scalable. Or, you know, it really depends on the skill level of the of the person. So I always suggest make sure you're hiring the right person with the right type of skill, right? So if you get a front-end person, you need a back-end person, or you need a full-stack person. So, I mean, it, it really depends what you're looking for, but making sure that they have that type of skill level to determine what's scalable for your specific solution is the key. Gotcha. It's not just any developer can do anything. And I think we both know that, but like, right. it's something where you really have to do your due diligence on the developer. Secondly, they'll come in and they'll know which, you know, which exact kind of code and which encryption standards, those kind of things that you would need specific to your organization. So I don't want to give anybody like any, any type of, you know, false hope or anything, but like, this is something where it comes down to, Analyzing, making sure that the code you're using works best with your business is scalable and it's a solution that can actually be used going forward for the long term, not the short term it can be built on and you'll have a good product from there. At the end of the day, applications, keep in mind, they're not products that stay the same way forever. They are constantly being iterated. So with a product that's constantly being iterated, having that having that like knowledge of what you're using, what code you're using and that kind of thing is, is pretty much the key. 
Yeah, I love to see when apps that I use a lot get an update mm -hmm. and see what new features have been included or what's been changed. It's always interesting to see what companies will do. Just out of curiosity, what are some of maybe the top two, three apps that you see your, that you probably spend the most time in throughout your day? That's a great question. So I really like the WhatsApp, obviously. I use that quite a bit. LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm, always, yeah. I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. Yeah, LinkedIn is a good one. If LinkedIn is listening, what recommendations? Do you have any recommendations for them? <laughs> Dude, how do we get more viewers of the stories? <laughs> I think I, I think I've seen Wonder Woman. It's called person. paid advertising. <laughs> I don't think the stories function is being used as much as it should. So maybe focus on that. But no, I think LinkedIn is you know been scaling correctly, and yeah. you know they've obviously put out amazing updates in the past. You know, yeah. so and I think when did they they got purchased by Microsoft sometime? Yeah, ago, right? like three and, years ago or something. And that that's you know that's been a really interesting change of pace for them to see how they. You know, I remember using LinkedIn, I think starting in, I don't know, maybe 2008, 2009, something like that. Mm -hmm. And it was just a really like a job board. It was a recruiting site, right? Yeah. And it's changed so much since then. And it's almost starting to get, and I hate to say this, but it's really starting to get much more of like the traditional social media vibe mm -hmm. where you're seeing a lot more personal content being posted, which is, I mean, look, I get it. You want to share parts of your life. You're a professional. That's great. Do what you want to do. You know, I think there is a little bit of like, maybe this would have been better on Instagram or Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't really think this is relevant to, yeah. to LinkedIn, but that's neither here nor there. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I think it's a really interesting application as well. So how can listeners find out more about your company, Tech Revel, and how can they connect with you guys? So, you know, I'm available on LinkedIn. You obviously know my name. So that's Ryan Shirzadi. You can find me there. I'm a pretty unique name. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, also you can connect with us at www.techrevel.com. That's T-E-K-R-E-V-O-L.com. You know, we'd love to have you. We have a calculator on there. If you have an idea, you can go in there and, and you know, type in some of your, your core concepts and we can kind of give you some type of preliminary pricing so you don't have to go and talk to somebody figure that out. So yeah, that's that's a lot of options for you. You can connect with, with us on Instagram, Facebook, and also LinkedIn. So, you know, we post a lot of cool stuff on there and we'd love to see you guys kind of check that out. So that's cool. a little bit about us. Awesome. Before we go, I want to thank the Canon for giving us some space today. We're in the Lone Star Room at their Britmore location here in the Energy Corridor. It's pretty awesome. I highly suggest you check out the Canon if you're looking for co-working space. And also, I want to remind the listeners to enter to win the weekly giveaway. I've got the Halliburton Labs backpack here with me. It's pretty cool. Ask Ryan. He's seen it in person. And also, if you wouldn't mind, listeners, please rate, review, and connect if you have any feedback. With that being said, Ryan, let's wrap it up here, man. I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. It was really cool getting to know you and hearing all about in-house and app development and stuff like that. I think you know it's going to be really interesting to see how energy companies start to utilize app development or how they've utilized it already and how they'll continue to utilize it in the future, especially as we are much more mobile today as we were, you know, just a few short years ago. Absolutely. Now I'm excited to see the future here. I think it's, you know, something to be excited for. Awesome, man. Well, with that being said, we're going to let you guys go and take care and be well. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN and here are the events on deck for August 2021. This month we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. 
We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on August 26th. Our July happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the last one, we hope to see you there this month. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts, network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Other than OGGN's events, we have three in-person events and one hybrid in-person and online event. First up, we have our three in-person events. The first being OTC, or the Offshore Technology Conference, at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas, from August 16th to the 19th. Next, we have the IPAA Leaders in Industry Luncheon at the Petroleum Club of Houston on August 17th. And lastly, we have the 2021 Connected Plant Conference at the Renaissance Hotel in Austin, Texas, from August 30th to September 2nd. Other than our three in-person events, we have our hybrid event, which is NAEP, or the North American Prospect Expo. Now this summit is a hybrid event because it's both online and in-person. The in-person portion of the event will be from August 18th to the 20th at the George R. Brown Convention Center, while the online portion of the event is from August 9th to September 3rd. If you have any questions about these events or any podcasts within the Oil & Gas Global Network, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for August. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Join us again next week for another episode of the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.